I do want to start off with prayer, though. Uh, after after a long, hard week and the challenges that we that we've been facing, when it's challenging time, I want to make sure that uh, everybody that's under the sound of my voice are still believers. So can I have a show of hands of everybody who's a believer in the house tonight? Yeah, right here. Yeah. All right, all right. Yeah. Let's up and everything. It's warm yeah, That's right, that's right. <laughs> Good to be in the house of believers. And um, with all the things that we've been facing, I just want everybody to know that God still has our back and we're not alone in this thing. Because the Bible has made a promise to us that he would never leave us nor forsake us. Amen. Let us, uh, let us pray. Lord, we thank you uh, that we're able to get together. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mighty hand. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you, oh, dear Lord, that you would be in the midst of our conversation during this time. We thank you, oh, Heavenly Father, that you would let your Holy Spirit have its merry way, oh, dear Lord. We thank you, oh, dear Lord, that all the distractions, oh, Heavenly Father, that will try to interfere with the words that we are going to use today, be not distracted, oh, Heavenly Father. We thank you, dear Lord Jesus, for your mighty protection, and your hands oh, dear Lord, that will cover this conversation and this meeting. In the name of Jesus, we thank you. Amen. 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 So I've, I've been asked to read Luke 23, 34. I've been allotted a certain amount of minutes, and I won't be mm-hmm. long before you. Everybody there? Luke twenty three thirty four. Oh yeah, I hear. You might, you might. I know it's only a five minute uh, glimpse. I got my, I got my notepad. Look, I see. <laughs> but just maybe someone might be able to get something out of this. Yeah. 
but because she believed the touching of Jesus made a difference. But these guys were gambling over his clothes, throwing dice as if to get a piece of his garment would make a difference in it in their lives. And guess what? Only the one who believes it makes a difference. So Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Remember, I think. Amen. That's great. That's a lot of people. Right. That's good. Okay, at this time, number two is Linda, Linda Ferris Bradley, Luke 23, 43. Jesus says to the thief. Okay. I'm so I'm so excited. Okay. <laughs> okay. In the NIV, Jesus, the translation is Jesus answered him, Truly, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. And the New Living Translation says, And Jesus replied, I assure you. Today, you will be with me in paradise. And the message says, don't worry, I will. In other words, he'll remember the thief. Today, you will join me in paradise. And it occurred to me that Jesus rejoined his father in heaven that same day after being apart for how long? How long was he apart from his father? 33 years. 33 years. Jesus, uh, Jesus, in this case, is speaking to the repentant robber. And I'd say this was a case of a deathbed repentance that was really for real. And uh, the story of this penitent thief is unique to, to Luke only. And the two thieves, as Brian said, were speaking to each other. And in uh, Luke 23:40, amplified, one criminal reproved the other and said, Do you not even fear God, seeing you yourself are under the same sentence of condemnation and suffering the same penalty? And then in Luke 42, amplified, and we indeed suffer it justly receiving the due reward of our actions. But this man has done nothing. So in the complete Jewish Bible, the same verse, the original verse, 2343, it says, Yeshua said to him, the thief, Yes, I promise that you will be with me today in Gan Eden. And that's the Garden of Eden. It's also called Paradise, and it's the Bible's Garden of God. Eden is the garden where Adam and Eve first lived, and it's very pristine, abundantly, very naturally beautiful. And the Hebrew term for paradise is translated pleasure. Yep. And... Um, the name Yeshua or Jesus means deliverer, savior, <laughs> rescuer, a name that represents his Jewish identity. 
else was in the garden? What? The tree of life. Tree of life. Tree of life. And if you go to Revelation 2-7, the tree of life. Uh, in Revelation 2-7, a portion of that uh, scripture is, I'm about to call each conqueror to dinner. I'm spreading a banquet of tree of life fruit. A supper plucked from God's orchard. So paradise is where all the souls go. All the souls. Think about it. There's room for all the believers. And Jesus repeatedly told the Pharisees that he received outcasts. He said, the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom before you. The lepers, the sinful woman caught in adultery. Remember when he said, neither do I condemn you, in John 8:11. And the dying, excommunicated, blind man, in John 9:35, And, of course, the thief, in Luke 23:43. So, when we think about paradise, our heavenly home, it's the final dwelling place of the saints. And we all love that scripture. I have this on my tombstone, or whatever you want to call it. My gravestone already. John 14.2. The Weymouth New Testament translation is, in, now listen to this. In my Father's house, there are many resting places. Were it otherwise, I would have told you. For I am going to make ready a place for you. And, and the Holman Christian Standard Translation of John 14.2 is, In my Father's house are many dwelling places, a traveler's resting place. I don't know about you guys, but I could use a rest. Amen. If not, if not, I would have told you, I am going away to prepare a place for you. So anyway, the bottom line for me through all of this is, the key to the meaning to all of this for me is that the thief received his salvation through nothing he did. It was strictly yeah. the grace. <laughs> it was yeah. strictly. It was strictly the grace of God that answered him yeah. from that cross when he was re being remembered. So, and also the big thing for me was Jesus conquered death. And he conquered hell on the cross for that thief and for us. And we do nothing for this but believe it. Amen. Linda, thank you very much. You're welcome. Only believe the greatest work you could do, John 6, 29, is believe. Our next is... Yeah. Yeah, Linda, you
remarks upon the four exclamations in this chapter, Behold the man, behold your king, behold your son, behold your mother, as a remarkable picture of what Christ is and what he reveals people to be. And then in the Passion Translation, it says, I went to verse 25, including 25, Mary, Jesus' mother, was standing next to his cross, along with Mary's sister. Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. So when Jesus looked down and saw the disciple he loved, standing with her, he said, Mother, look, John, look. John will be a son to you. Then he said, John, look, she will be a mother to you. From that day on, John accepted Mary into his home as one of his own family. So I started my thing. I, I hope I get through all of this. I wrote a lot. Um, but just, um, Call it call it time, whatever. Um, the bond between a mother and child is like no other. She carries him or her in utero for nine whole months and prays for him or her. There. She has already fallen in love before she even sees her child. She adores him or her. Then after this child is born, he or she begins to see, hear, and feel in a new way. A new, I, I emphasize new, way her love for him or her, and she begins to enjoy him or her. The treasure that he or she is enjoying brings to her. Uh, this point on, I'm just going to take him because I have a son. <laughs> a mother is a mother from the womb to the tomb. Her love and help and forces, prayers, and support are unceasing as long as she lives or as long as he lives. Love is eternal, like the Father's love for us is eternal. This scripture that I was given to read has always intrigued me as well as puzzled me. Honestly, I only guessed as to what I thought it meant in prior years. But as I pondered and asked the Lord to reveal to me what he thought of this and why he said it, um, he revealed that John was his beloved disciple. That doesn't mean that Jesus loved him more although John would probably debate that with me. <laughs> they shared a bond more deeper than possibly the rest. Perhaps because John understood who Jesus truly was, what his purpose was, and trusted Christ more than any other disciple did while Christ lived. John could be trusted with small and large things and the deeper things of God. Who better to trust with his own natural mother than the one who trusted him more than any other disciple, more than any other person in John's life. John was an apostle of love. He understood the Father's love and the grace that Christ gave. And John believed in and seen with his own two eyes stood by Christ at Calvary. Calvary, when all the others scattered. John was not just a disciple or apostle, but he became, in the spirit, his brother. God is love. Jesus said to his followers, who's my mother and who is my brother? He pointed to his disciples and said, look, these are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother, sister, and mother. Psalm 57 says, I cry out to God, all time, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. God has numbered our days on earth and will fulfill every purpose he has for us. Jesus permits Jesus foreknew the grief his mother would undergo that would most likely last the rest of her life. John didn't replace him, of course, 
but I believe he cared for her and loved her as Christ would have. They were already family to their gathering together in breaking bread, but they became closer through the blood of Christ that was shed. And John helped her remember the words of their Savior in ours and her uh, son, and her purpose as well. He helped her be there in the upper room to await the intended promise of the Holy Spirit to empower them to spread the gospel with signs and wonders until they transitioned into her beloved son's presence in heaven. And so providing for his mother one last time, he knew John would take care of her financially as well, seeing she had no one to take care of her there when she returned home from the fiction. Back then they either walked or rode donkeys, or if they were wealthy, had horses to ride. Where were his, here's my question, where were his biological brothers and sisters? Not there, or at least they're not mentioned there. They were mentioned in the Bible that he had them. Where were they when their mother needed them most? Jesus saw that too and met her need. We are adopted by a good, good father who calls us his sons and daughters, who helps us see who we truly are, and is always faithful to never leave or forsake us, and shows us unconditional love and trusts us more than we trust ourselves.
For God looks upon the heart. Even to think of sinning was to have sinned already. Even to fantasize was to have committed whatever act. To love externally with hate in the heart was to kill. To love externally was to kill. He strengthened the law and told us to cut off our hands, pluck out our eyes, and sell all that we had and give it to the poor. He was telling us how impossible it was for us to please God through our own efforts, which are nothing, nothing more than dumb. Then he was crucified at nine in the morning. The sky went dark from noon to three, and moments before his death he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was alluding to the entire hymn, Psalm 22, from the Jewish hymnal. He did that in order to show that his death was also prophesied at least 500 years before his birth in Isaiah 61. Uh, in Hebrew, in Hebrew, it's Eli, Eli, Lama, Atsaptani. Eli, Eli, Lama, Atsaptani. In Greek, it's Eli, Eli, Lama, Sabachthani. That psalm says, among other things, remember, it was written 500 years before Jesus was born. But among other things, that psalm says, my bones are out of joint. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. No wonder he's thirsty. They've bitten, they've pierced, they've shriveled my arms, hands, legs, feet. He divided my clothes among them. They threw dice for my clothing. Which is exactly what they did to him 500 years later. Jesus was presenting us with bookends. Right? The beginning of his earthly mission to us and the end. He told us what he was going to do, and he told us that they also knew how he was going to die. And he did die, and so did we, along with him. And after three days, he was born again, and we, along with him. We were born from above, born of spirit. And in verse 24 of that very same psalm, everything turns bright. It says, he does not ignore those in trouble. He doesn't hide his face from them, but he listens when they call out to him. That psalm was written so appropriately to the tune called the Doe of Dawn. For a new day had dawned. A new covenant for us, his sons, who are new creations. A new day had dawned. lit by the light of the world Jesus Christ he came to set the captives free and that that means you and me and he will never leave us nor forsake us Salah Amen
situation. Um, and it says, Jesus knew, Jesus knew that his mission was accomplished and fulfilled to the scripture. Jesus said, I am thirsty. Um, and then verse 29 says, a jar of soaked wine was sitting nearby. So they soaked up a sponge with it and put it on the stock of hyssop and raised it to his lips. Um, so at that point, Jesus was already up on the cross and he, yes, please. <laughs> Okay, so at that point, Jesus was already up on the cross, and he knew that everything that he was sent there to do, his purpose was already done. So to me, that just kind of says, he was chill. He was like, okay, I'm thirsty. Give me something to drink. Peace out. That's what I got from it. <laughs> okay. Seems like most people are drinking. Six is up. Next up is Claudia. Claudia's going to do John 19 and 30. It is finished. Okay. <clears throat> Thanks, Mike, for letting me do this. I'm going to read uh, out of several different translations. Um, the New American Standard reads, Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. I read somewhere today um, that sour wine was a, uh, a wine that was refreshing. And so the Lord being thirsty and having hung on that cross and probably not have, have had anything to drink for many, many, many hours, not just while he was there, but during the time when he was in captivity and beaten and flogged and uh, all the suffering that he did. He had, he had no water. And so this cellar wine was a, a type of refreshing wine for him. And uh, I, I just for me, that just showed his humanity. He was he was uh, divine, but he was a human being, and he suffered for us. He suffered with not only rejection, but in physical being, as Christ said earlier, beaten, bones that struck out. I mean, there was hardly any flesh left on his body. And I'd like to read this in the... Um, Passion translation, give me a minute to find it. When he had sipped the sour wine, he said, It is finished, my bride. Then he bowed his head and surrendered his spirit to God. There's a rather long footnote, but I want to read it to you because it's pretty amazing. Brian Simmons does a great job. Um, I, I know a lot of you have the Passion Translation. And he says this word, finished, this is from the Aramaic word, kala, and it's spelled K-A-L-A-H, a homonym. And a homonym is a word that can, it's spelled differently, but it, and it sounds like the same, but it means something different. And he said it's that this 
homonym that can mean fulfilled, and in parentheses it says completed, and the other word is bride. Jesus finished the work of our salvation The translation has combined both concepts. For a fascinating study of the Hebrew word used for bride and finish with its universe of meaning, and he gives several cross-references to strong. Although the completed work of salvation was finished on the cross, he continues to work through his church today to extend the kingdom of God on the earth and glorify the Father through us. He continues to work in us to accomplish all that is Christ and resurrection have purchased for us his bride. His cross fulfilled and finished the prophecies of the Messiah's first coming to the earth. There was nothing written that was not fulfilled and now offered to his bride. I want to read a cross-reference um, in the New American Standard, um, a cross-reference to uh, 1930, and it's in Chapter 17 of John, and it's verse 4. And this is where Jesus is called the high priestly prayer, so he's, he's praying to the Father, and he says, I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. In other words, what Jesus was saying when he said it was finished is that everything that the Father had told him to do, he had finished it. And remember, remember, Jesus only did what the Father told him to do. He only said what he heard the Father say. So everything, this is saying to his Father, Father, everything that you had given me to do, I accomplished it. I completed it. I did it. I did it perfectly, perfect. Completed it completely for you and for my bride. Remember, the Father sent him. So God, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would never perish but have everlasting life. He came for the world. He came for his bride. For, for those of us that have believed and received the gospel of grace, that we did nothing to earn it, we don't deserve it, but he did it all. We do nothing but receive the gift, receive his faith, receive salvation completely, perfectly done for us. One more translation I want to read is out of the mirror. And it reads as follows. When Jesus had taken the vinegar, he said, it is finished. He then bowed his head in hand five said, into your hand I commit my spirit. This is a footnote. The word tesalastai communicates the final consummation of all things. Everything is now concluded. John again, as in verse 28, records this powerful word. 
perfect passive tense, which denotes an action which is completed in the past, but the effects of which are regarded as continuing into the present without end. Nothing that happens in time could possibly intercept this act of God's redemptive genius. The only possible way we can delay the glory that follows the cross is by underestimating what happened there when Jesus died and cried, it is finished. There is no eschatology of anyone's gift or definition that carries more weight than God's final word that he spoke to us in sonship. In the one who hears the very stamp character of his nature and radiates the Father's being, the one seated upon the throne of mankind's redeemed innocence, we can afford to make Jesus' words on the cross, it is finished, our complete and final focus. I love that. When, when I think about the fact that he did everything for us, we live our life believing that, focusing on the fact that the work has been done, there is nothing for us to do to earn anything. We do what we do because of the love that he has put into our hearts, the love of God poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So we we can never do enough to pay for what Jesus did for us. And he doesn't ask us to do that. He just says, love me, love your brother, love the stranger, love the one that's in front of you. Let the world see the light that is within you, the love that is within you because of what I have done. Awesome. Amen. Amen. Our last saying on the cross by Jesus uh, will be uh, shared by uh, Karen Viansky. And that's Luke, Luke 
Proverbs 3, 6 through 12 from the message. Trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. He's the one who will keep you on track. Don't assume that you know it all. Run to God. Run from evil. Your body will glow with health. Your very bones will vibrate with life. Honor God with everything you own. Give him the first and the best. Your barns will burst. Your wine vats will brim over. What a beautiful word picture. What a beautiful illustration that we can actually just, you know, uh, visualize. Um, I'd like to share a little bit about cognitive behavior therapy. It's CBT. It's a short-term type of therapy. And one of the things they deal with is core beliefs. And core beliefs are basic beliefs that we have about ourselves, other people, and the world we live in. They're the things that we hold to the absolute truth deep down underneath all of the surface thoughts. It's kind of like wearing a, a pair of glasses and, and having your own um, perception of how you see yourself, the world, and others. And not to, go, not to get down on mom and dad, but unfortunately they do trace back some of those negative core beliefs to, um, you know, again, how we, how we learn to interact and take those situations and uh, develop negative core beliefs. Well, I like to believe that God carves positive, accurate, true core beliefs on our hearts when we're born with his own very hand. And those are, those are good and they're true and they're right. And um, uh, again, they're written on our hearts with the hand of God. And from an early age, Jesus knew who he was. He had that, he had that true, accurate picture of who he was, who his father was, and how he saw the world and his mission. And he, and he lived by that. He honored that, and he trusted God to have all of that culminate and, and um, you know, come to its final, final stage at the cross. And and um, he trusted his Father, and we can see that his truth, that truth, and that trust was cemented in his heart all the way through to that point when he was at his most desperate place. He was most transparent, he was unfiltered, and he still cried out knowing who his God, his Father was. He leaned hard into the, the hands of his Father, just like he leaned hard into his back into the, the wood of that cross. So we come full circle here to what Brian started us out with, the promise that God would never leave us or forsake us. In the open Bible reports are 87 verses about, I will never leave you or forsake you. And in closing, then I'd just like to say that this is evidence that like Jesus, we too can rest and trust in our heavenly Abba Father. Amen. Amen. Good job, Karen. Thank you. Awesome. At this, at this time, we're gonna, John's going to put up the video uh, Gone by Elevation Worship and then Pastor Marie's going to Go ahead and do communion with us. So if you have any, if you have your communion elements nearby, or if you need to get them, um, okay. we'll be taking communion uh, after this song goes.
faces that we rest down at the table, our face-to-face, Rest is not an activity. And if you allow the Holy Spirit to lead you, what you do, and you do without words, because you know He is in control. So, today and always, it's a time to be listening. Uh, people are at the table, we're talking, we need to be listening to one another, listening to him most of all. But, union is the time to remember what Jesus has done for us. And what better time than to remember the cross today on Good Friday. You know, Good Friday will always be special when I think of those things, how, how the earth turned black in three hours. I mean, it was incredible, all those things that happened. How in the midst of his, his agony, he remembered his mother. His heart of compassion for uh, the thief on the cross. When he, he just asked him to remember his and he said, yes, they you will Passion. <laughs> it is, is. Was that an amen, Mason? <laughs> it's so true to know that our sin is dead and gone. Yes. Died on the cross once and for all. Yes. It's all about life. Amen. 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 How great! How great is the power of my goodness. Amen. 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 As our substitute, when he did, we are the righteousness of God. Incredible, incredible. And you know, it's a time to pray. That, that, that song said that praise is a weapon that will overcome. Yeah. We're overcomers. And we need to sing our theology. The table is all about relationship. It wouldn't be the same without the I'll tell you, I love, I love partaking and together. But I wanted to just bring just a little bit of the journey to Emmaus. You know, that journey to Emmaus was the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And he met those two guys on the road to Emmaus. He just rose bodily from the grave that same day. And I believe Jesus was going on a journey of restoration that day. And we know that as he walked with them, he recognized me. But as he spoke, the words of life from the scripture. It says their hearts burned within them. And I want to take you to the Garden of Eden. The cross was the true tree of life. But in the Garden of Eden, there was another tree. And the tree we know was the tree of 
for you for knowledge of good and evil. And the two in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, they chose to eat at, at the table of the knowledge of good and evil. And when that, they did that, it opened their eyes to see the nakedness. And through that act of eating, the knowledge of good and evil, and death entered into the world. Man was never meant to have sickness or pain. He was never meant to grow old and die. In fact, God hates death. He calls death men. Amen? Yeah. But look how God reverse everything. What a day to be living in. To be living in the actual day that Jesus went to the cross for us. And he was our substitute. He went for us. He did it for us. We didn't deserve it. But it was out of all love for us. Amen. Amen. At the end of the journey to Emmaus, sin and death came in through an act of eating, and we are about to see restore everything that was lost in the Garden of Eden. By the cross, that's what he did. He came to restore everything that was lost in Adam. And it was through another act of eating. When the two disciples were walking to Emmaus with Jesus, their eyes had been restrained. But the moment they took the bread, as they wanted his presence, they didn't want him to leave us. They walked. Their hearts were burning. And he came into their home. They invited him to his home. They sat at the table. And they ate. And what they were eating was the tree on the tree of life. And that was the tree that we were always supposed to be Amen. He has conquered everything that was lost in heaven. I mean, it is finished. It is done through the cross, through the resurrection power of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And when they took that bread, the two amazed boys, the Bible says that their eyes were open. But just in the gap, they didn't open. Their eyes were open to their nakedness. Their eyes were open to knowing Him. Amen. Amen. Knowing Him. Amen. And that, that word know or knew means revelation. Christ was revealed, unveiled. Them. Amen? Yeah. And they saw, they saw the true, the true Christ. They saw the, the true Messiah. Amen? Amen. Yeah. And Eve made them, when God made Adam and Eve, he made them complete, except for one thing. Their spiritual eyes were not open. God wanted their spiritual eyes to be open the tree of life. And because we're believers, because we realize what he did for us on the cross, our eyes are open. And we 
he is so he is so good. He takes the natural that we can understand, like like and he shows us the supernatural truth. And we get the mystery. We get the secret of Christ in us. It's an incredible revelation. And it says uh, their spirit. It says Adam and Eve. They were not they were complete except for one thing. Their spiritual eyes were not open. God wanted their spiritual eyes to be opened by the tree of life. But instead they took of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And their eyes were open to their nakedness. Their eyes were open to see failure, shortcomings, their lack, their inadequacy, and their sickness and their shame. What tree there would be from? We don't want that to be The Lord Jesus restored all at the cross that was lost in the garden. What an incredible truth. Ugh. Everything was that was lost in the garden because of Good Friday, the resurrection Sunday, everything that was lost is now, is now restored. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. It's done. Amen. Amen. So, Amen. we partake. Oh, there's so much. Oh, there's just so much. Let us, as we take the bread, and we look at it. You know, communion is about remembering what He has done for us. That's what communion is. And I tell you, I pray today that you would recognize and see the love of Jesus and the love of Jesus that he has for us. It's because of love that he went to the cross. That's right. Love no other reason. That's right. He just loved us so much that he gave us.
nor our strength fail. No sickness can remain in our body. This is the same power Amen. that raised Amen. the grave Amen. through us. Amen. Our stripes, we were healed. Amen. Amen.
we just give you the praise and glory. These these things we ask in your name. Amen. 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 Amen.